there were things that were painful through that process. What that's now translated into is a pilot proof of concept type partnership into something much more substantial. And they're now one of our venture capital portfolio companies. We've supported them with funding over several rounds. Welcome back, and we have a cracker of an episode for you today. Now, if this is your first time joining, a pleasure to have you, Matthew Grant here, host of many, but not all, of our weekly podcasts. If you are a regular listener, you'll know that my fellow partner at Insec, Robin Mertens, is now regularly picking up the microphone, and you're going to be hearing from some more of the team soon. But for now, if you've ever wondered how large insurers successfully deal with innovation, this one is most definitely for you. I managed to pin down Brendan Smith, SVP Global Risk Solutions at Liberty Mutual, joining us from the US, and Premal Gohill, Head of Innovation, Partnerships and Investments from London to find out what they are doing. Now, this is a longer episode than usual, but it's jammed full of great insights that will be useful to you, whether you're working at an insurer, trying to figure out how to get your organization to innovate, or you're at a technology company wondering how to get noticed. And if you are one of our regular listeners that does the ironing out there running or on your bike, well, go for it. See how much more you can do with an extra few minutes plugged in today. And finally, Instate London is accredited for credit towards continual professional development by the Chartered Insurance Institute here in the UK. And you can find the learning objectives and our edited highlights of this discussion on our website, www.instec.london. Premal, Brendan, I look forward to my, all my podcasts, but this is one I've been really looking forward to because... As Liberty Mutual, you are, first of all, an insurance company, and it's always really interesting to hear what people in the insurance world are looking for from innovation and technology. But you're involved in so many different areas that you're definitely one of the leaders in terms of embracing innovation. So lots of things to talk about. Brendan, you're joining us from the U.S. Uh, I guess it's good morning for you. Thanks for having us. We've been avid listeners and supporters, as you know. And uh, from, from my end, you know, I've, I've kind of been the stereotypical uh, person that's fell into insurance and quite an exciting time to be in insurance. Pleased to be here. Well, people fall into insurance and they fall out of insurance into into technology. So it's a <laughs> bit of a two-way process. Uh, and Premal, you're a bit of a podcasting guru yourself. I can see you've got a very fancy microphone there. Yeah, great to be here. It's actually pretty amusing, actually, in a way. I was, I was reflecting on this because I've been an avid listener of your podcast for the last few years, and you'll often find me either ironing the clothes or out for a very early Sunday morning run before the wife and kids are up listening. So it's nice to be on the other end and look forward, look forward to the conversation. <laughs> no, you are a great supporter, and I think you know that we've got uh, accreditation from the Chartered Insurance Institute for continual professional development. I'm sure all of our U.S. listeners can get the equivalent over in the U.S. or wherever you are in the world, actually. So, Premo, I don't think there's a rule against listening to yourself and claiming credit for it, so you can <laughs> <laughs> hopefully you can do that. Uh, but let's jump in with things. So Liberty Mutual, you're a Fortune 100 global insurance company. Premo, you're heading out partnerships and corporate ventures at Liberty Mutual's Global Risk Solutions Divisions. We'll hear more about that in a minute. Uh, Brendan, you're Senior Vice President of Global Risk Solutions Innovation. Uh, I know things move fast in this world, so has anything changed since we uh, you tell me what your roles are? No, yeah, still still the same roles and um excited to be in them. Things change definitely definitely daily and um we're we're quite on, on top of it, um have our fingers on the pulse out of the edge, so to speak. Well Premal, you've made this easy for me um preparing for this because you released your five tips for startup on LinkedIn and I, I'm glad to see you're back writing again because you've got some great 
observations there for people on, on a whole range of different topics. Brendan, you've been at Liberty for 19 years, I think for longer than Premel. You've been leading this initiative for three years. Can you, can you talk a little bit about what the role is? And I believe global risk solution, that's just one part of the Liberty business. You've got a broader business beyond that. In, and so you're focusing on commercial and specialty lines rather than personal lines. We're part of the Liberty Media Group, one of the most diversified uh, PNC carriers globally. We're set on the, on the mid to large side of the house, clients and reinsurance and specialty, the major hubs. So North America, Bermuda, London, EMEA and Asia Pac. We have a rich history of really being mission driven and values driven. We embrace today and comfortably pursue tomorrow, leaning into innovation. One of our values is challenging the status quo to make things better. So again, that alignment to innovation. And we really enable that through our innovation practices. My team's a specialist group. Um, we really enable those solutions for our business leaders and drive new value with our clients and broker partners. And you mentioned a comment in there, embrace today, pursue tomorrow. Did I get that correct? Yeah. So we're here for our clients today. We deliver that with empathy and care. And then we also are forward-leaning to think about what their needs are in the future. So again, that's where my team can come in um, and really start to think about what, what's emerging, what are the trends, how do we be there for them with new risk solutions, whether it be partnerships, investing, building, and buying. Um, we have a full set of capabilities to really drive into those areas. I notice also that you've described that what you do with your the organizations who you're working with as partners, technology providers and other things, that you partner, invest, build and buy. So, again, could you just explain what those those mean? They're sort of obvious at some level, but from a specific and practical point of view, what it means for you at Liberty. They're essentially the full set of innovation capabilities. We're really allowed to partner to build, um, bringing new solutions to light, really augmenting our talent with startups, MGAs, reinsurers and brokers, and clients certainly at the center. Where fit, we also may invest to accelerate that partnership that we have or simply invest for long-term strategic learning. We might have a learning agenda, want to give us optionality around our strategic agenda, so we'll, we'll invest in that lens as well. And Premo really heads up those, those two pieces of it, the invest and partner. We also have the ability to make acquisitions, um, tuck-ins, the like, that can help really kind of build new capabilities and accelerate our futures. And then we have a build arm, which brings together the best fit teams from across the business. It might be functions. It might be particular you know, line of business. Um, and certainly that includes technology and advanced analytics to really do the building around the offering. So it might be a digital solution with some, some kind of AI, ML type backing. Well, that was a lot to take in. So let me make sure we got all of that. My question, in case you missed it, was... What does it mean when Liberty says it partners, invests, builds and buys? Well, as Brendan just explains, they do it all. They collaborate with other technology companies. Sometimes they invest in startups. Other times they go all in and will buy the companies. And other times if they can't find what they need. Well, they'll just build it themselves. It's completely genuine when I was saying before that you are leaders in this space. That only comes from commitment right at the top of the organization. So I'm assuming that yeah, at the board level, maybe even the CEO level, there is a real commitment and sort of presumably incentives aligned around people across the organization to get involved with this and make it a success. It is, yeah. Innovation generally is a challenge for, for innovation teams, including our clients' innovation teams who we do partner with often. Um, so at Liberty, it's really a leadership priority. We have a strong support at the top. Um, and to attack some of these challenges, we've actually established an innovation council that's made up of leaders from across the business. Um, really to focus on strategy, portfolio, and culture deliberately. And my team provides that talent and funding um, that can really bring to life a, a collaborative and co-creation model when we're working with the businesses. So really, it, it's healthy. It's a healthy process. Um, you know, at times, 
uh, you get no's and you have to understand what what's behind those no's. Is it is it a business you know reason that's there's lack of value, or is there something else behind it? And, and my team certainly built good resilience to understanding that. No, well, congratulations. I mean, as we all know, one of the the skills here is not just managing down, but it's managing up. Yeah, and and I think there's a lot of people out there in innovation roles in insurance companies that could learn from what you've done to get alignment across you know, their peers and senior management. Maybe Premal, that could be a future article for you or, or another another <laughs> podcast to do. Uh, but Premal, just yeah, just talking to you. So Brenda mentioned that you get. I think is it correct to say you, you lead on the partner and invest side globally as well as your local role in Europe? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the best way I uh, can describe my role. Uh, to other people is I and my team operate outside of the four, well, virtual walls of the office, if you like. We're in the ecosystem meeting with, you know, startups, venture capital firms, technology data providers, really to do a few things. Number one is, um, to get a better understanding of some of the trends that are happening within the insurance and innovation ecosystem. Um, but then also to see who are the best players out there that we might want to work with and then bringing those back to the core Liberty Mutual business um, and seeing where there might be fit for both uh, in the aspect of um, getting those um, players to think about how they might solve some of our own pain points, but then how they might also help uh, solve some of our clients' unmet needs as well. As Brendan was mentioning, very much around partnering. Um, so, you know, pilots, proof of concepts, experimentation, and then hopefully some of those lead to full scale production contracts and then using um, our capabilities around invest and buy as well to go deeper into some of those companies. No, thanks. And we'll be talking about some of those companies specifically later on. Uh, so just Brendan, back to you. We've already talked about things moving fast. Uh, currently, for you, what is what is most important for you when you look out there? And you talked also, of course, about supporting your your clients. But there's a lot of talk about disruption, a lot of talk about collaboration. But, you know, what is it that is the, probably the top of mind for the organization at this point? We have a broad innovation thesis that we, we play within. It's really the intersection of, of three lenses. Are you ready for this? Three lenses. This is important. So I'm going to be dropping in the podcast equivalent of a bullet point. Here we go. The future of risk where macro trends are changing and the risk landscape is growing and shrinking and, and shifting. The future of industry is where our clients needs are evolving with those risks. And, and they're also harnessing these new trends um, to create new businesses. The future of insurance and reinsurance where our business model must evolve to meet our clients needs both of today and tomorrow. That really translates into some strategic focus areas for us that are of scope and scale, both to the world and our businesses. So we think about industry verticals, so large verticals like mobility, construction, financial services, energy certainly is a, is a big one um, with the transition going on. And then horizontals that really cut across these industries and sit underneath them. So things like cyber and reputation risk and then insurance business models like insure tech and value chain enhancement and disruption. Uh, parametric um, is a big thing. I know you talk about in the pod and we're quite active in um, as well as advisory services and pushing into things like IoT. Well, there's a whole bunch of really good stuff in there, Brendan. So uh, sometimes I have to 
pause this and the editing and, and interrupt myself. Uh, now I'm going to do it real time. And just a reminder. <laughs> I like your, your click. <laughs> yeah, you heard the your click. Case, yeah, uh, no, you don't need that now because we're amongst friends. Um, but yeah, Premo, you've already mentioned you're a, you write, listen to this running. And so for anybody who's listening and is, hasn't got a pen handy or is furiously taking notes and hasn't already discovered the fact that we've actually, we write this up for you and, uh, all fully vetted by Liberty, of course, on the website. You can go there and we'll have most of this for you. Not all of it. We need to leave something to kind of get from the, uh, the audio, but yes, yeah, certainly we'll get all these great insights written down for you to, uh, to absorb. And so you can just sit back and enjoy this. Um, so Brendan, one of the things just, just digging a little bit into what you actually are doing and investing in, when you sort of take a step back and look at what's happening in, you know, what's sort of known as insurtech, although I think these days that, that, that term is almost redundant when you, it's really just technology for insurance. One area you can split it is investing in looking at new ways to drive new revenue or new protections for your clients into the business. And then the other area is, is, is creating efficiencies. I was tempted to say just creating efficiencies because of that, but actually that can be a massive area of saving. You talked a little bit about your sort of thesis, but do you have any figures to hand about the balance between the new versus the, you know, the cost savings and the efficiencies? Like the way you said it, um, because just creating efficiencies to your point, it can often fund the, the larger bets. And at Liberty, we have, you know, a really good approach to, to kind of evolving our core operations and offerings. And I think that they tend to have higher probabilities of success that can, they can fund those bets, as I mentioned. And, um, my team tend to play in the more diversify and disrupt spaces. And yeah, I think the mix is a great question and it, it can evolve. Um, I think about, you know, whether the particular line of business or industry is being disrupted faster, you might lean heavier into, into that disrupt and transform, um, versus that evolve. And broadly speaking, you're kind of finding, um, carriers in that 70, 30, 60, 40 split. And in, and maybe in personal lines, you may be leaning a little bit heavier, right? Into, into more disruptive versus commercial, you know, small commercial and then kind of up to, up to the specialty and large and reinsurance like we're in. So it can be a mix, but it's always one you want to, you want to bring back and, and test with your leaders. And then you touched on Brendan about climate risk and the relationship with Jupiter, there's quite a debate going on just now, and I don't know how well positioned either of you to answer on this, on the balance, and I think actually this has been taken the wrong way in terms of you know, one versus the other, the balance of models that look at historic loss and use that, and in particular like catastrophe modeling, versus future views of climate risk, and there's, there's sort of there's a debate out there about one being better than the other. The reality is they're complementary and there are different reasons why and when you do those models but what's the sort of liberty view on how do you both take account of you know what's happened in the past and add into that the climate risk and on the basis that we've seen this in the uk so you're already starting to be impacted it's probably going to happen elsewhere the bank of england for starters is asking companies to you know, measure and explain how insurance companies are going to mitigate future climate risk, but do it today. So it's not, it's no longer just about what's going to happen in the future. How, how does that factor into your thinking at Liberty in a sort of practical kind of way? This view that I have that, you know, all, all models are wrong and some are useful, which is kind of the George Box quote. And I think this is about augmentation of existing cap models, which are quite tuned to our industry and have served us well historically. But there's no silver bullet out there, really. With current cap models, we think about our own view of risk on top of it, and so do other carriers. So I think this is an evolution now as we're seeing kind of frequency of severity in the climate space. And so we use other third-party partners for both regulatory and client needs. So I mentioned uh, Jupiter Intelligence, and we use that for, for climate scenarios. And we also leverage partnerships with climate economic modeling vendors that really help us with some of those regulatory pieces that you mentioned. 
Good. Well, yeah, Rich Sorkin, who's, of course, you know, and you know personally uh, as a CEO and founder of Jupiter Intelligence, kicked off uh, quite an interesting debate on LinkedIn about this. It's worth a look at. And then I, Pam, I think this one might be one for you, which is you know, kind of links into some of the things you've written about with regards to companies working with startups. But a lot of a lot of organizations find it hard to work with insurance organizations, often, you know, for good reasons. You know, sometimes they just don't position themselves very well. But for you as an organization, I mean, is there a sweet spot for the companies that you found you actually you progressed to doing full commercial relationships with? Yeah. And is there something in that there might be lessons for others on both sides, actually, those looking to work with insurance companies and those within insurance companies? Matthew, you'll know, traditionally, um, it has been very difficult for incumbents and startups to work together. Um, we don't always make the easiest of bedfellows, so to speak, compared to maybe five or six years ago. I think the situation has improved as, you know, you've had more venture capital funding come into the space, the proliferation of insure techs and, and other types of companies working with incumbents. But I think it really depends on what you're looking to achieve. One of the things that I always say to colleagues within our business units when they're looking to partner with innovative companies um, is aligning expectations up front is critical. It sounds obvious, but it's amazing how many people go into something where they say, well, I found this really cool company. It's got amazing technology and they bring it in and it just ends up being a complete disaster. Doing that upfront work around, you know, what do both sides want out of the partnership? Who's going to lead it? Who's going to pay for it? Um, what's the timescales? What does success look like to both sides? And being very, very clear about that up front, you end up with a much better outcome. That's something that we've learned here at Liberty, you know, some, through some trial and error, and we've certainly got better at it. I think being focused on that, you often just want to jump in with both feet and, you know, really go for it. But doing that work up front, I think, just pays dividends. And it's something that we're very, very thoughtful about in our partnerships. One of the areas that I've given people advice on is when they're approaching insurance companies, don't always try to go in selling. You can actually go in and ask for advice. And I know you're, you're very generous with this. If that company likes what you're doing, they are, they are then going to start a sales discussion. But you can, I think they can take some of the heat out of the discussion by saying this is going to be a, a solution. Can you give me feedback on it? And then it just takes some of the, the pressure off it. And then, and it's building on that. You, you're part of what you wrote about was you know, why, why do so many of those sort of relationships and organizations fail? You've talked a little bit about some of the expectation setting, but what else do you see that is a sort of in earmark of failure and, and people should be looking out for? When you're looking at the concept of innovation, I think one of the things to bear in mind is failure is part of the course. It's actually part of the process. That's how you learn um, and you iterate and then the feedback loop in. So, you know, failure is OK. You know, if you don't get the outcome you wanted, that's that's what experimentation and innovation is all about. What's not OK is you failed because you didn't do the adequate work up front. I don't think that's acceptable. Um, you end up wasting time, effort, money. Being thoughtful about that, as I said before, is, is really important. And I've, if I give an example of where with one of our portfolio companies, something like that's worked quite well. So uh, Rain, um, which is an InsurTech MGA, you, you featured them in your recent embedded insurance report. Um, we partnered with them a number of years ago and they were very focused on one specific use case, which was around underwriting drone insurance, which is a space that 
we were not present in, but we were very interested in getting into, particularly in the US. And the founders of that business had a great background within the drone space. And I think what we learned from that is a great rapport building between the founders and Liberty Mutual and the various people involved. And that alignment of expectations and upfront work was pretty heavy. And of course, there were things that were painful through that process. And we learn and iterate and you test and learn and, and fail and keep keep going. But I think what that's now translated into is uh, a pilot proof of concept type partnership into something much more substantial. And they're now one of our venture capital portfolio companies. We've supported them with funding over several rounds. They're now moving into other spaces mentioned embedded insurance, but connected insurance as well. They've got uh, Volvo in the US as a big strategic partner around trucking and the mobility space. And they're into e-trading, digital platforms, and they're widening. And I think a lot of that has come because we did the work up front and we were very thoughtful about the relationships and it's why it's worked. And when we don't do that, you find it goes the other way. And to some extent, it's it's self-reinforcing because once liberty is known to be associated with an organization i know you're also quite careful about you know when you do displays who you're working with because you, you don't want to be doing that too early if, if there's still uncertainty about how the relationship plays out but yeah certainly with an organization of your scale and reputation once people know somebody's working with you that is also obviously really helpful for those organizations and i think another thing you sort of touched on there that i wanted to talk about is this concept of having an executive sponsor from the organization you know one thing you're very good at keeping us updated once a month about you know what themes you see are relevant to you and often time to time you send you some names or companies that i think are maybe of interest but you know, what i try and do is I never just do a kind of add that person onto the email because that just creates awkwardness for everybody you've either got instinct of like okay this might be interesting no it's not interesting or uh yeah definitely interesting and if it's in the might be interesting you'll go and find somebody in the organization and then we only really make the introduction when we know that there is a genuine interest in liberty and, and so there's a bit more work up front but ultimately everybody is better off because you don't get an awkwardness or time wasting which is what you referred to but just specifically on this executive sponsor can you just talk a little bit how that actually works in practice at liberty again so that you do find someone that's you know vested in the success of the, the company you're looking to work with the support of a key decision maker, an executive sponsor, if you like, we think is crucial uh, to a partnership, right? So those people are key to aligning resources, providing air cover when you need it, time, you know, making sure there's sufficient visibility. Um, and so what an, an exec sponsor and their team can often do is help inform us when we're out in the ecosystem about what they're looking for. And, you know, building those relationships between the core and, and our team has been really important to that. And then similarly, when we're out in the in the ecosystem, we're trying to think about what can enable our own strategy and our own business strategy as well. So who are some of the players that we need to work with to unlock what we're trying to achieve? So it really works both ways. And um I think, you know, with respect to. Uh, working with internal teams, particularly having executive sponsors and their teams involved and bought in, I'd describe it as the push versus pull model. Um, so historically, uh, way back when, when I, when I started this role, 
um, I was as guilty as, as many others of just finding some interesting companies and trying to ram those down the throat of some of my colleagues around the world. And naturally, you're going to get resistance to that. Um, so from learning from that experience, I think, you know, we are, I think it's fair to say, one of the best connected teams within the Liberty Mutual business. Um, we've built deep, trusting relationships with executive leaders um, and their teams to really learn about what's important to them and what's important to their clients. And then we go out into the ecosystem and we're informed. And that way, when we bring back interesting companies or partners to work with, it's a much better two-way kind of dialogue. And, you know, I think by doing that and having spent the time to do that, you find that when you do get into a situation where you want to work with a company, your executive sponsor almost reveals themselves by themselves, right? They're very interested and bought into it. So you're not having to think about picking someone and saying, well, will you help us sponsor this? It's a, it's a much easier dialogue to have. Um, and it ends up with superior results, frankly. And it's something that, that we're very focused on. Brenda, that comes back to something you were saying earlier on, just when we were talking about the kind of senior level sponsorship within the organization. And I don't know whether it was a question for you, Premal or Brendan. So whoever jumps in first can answer it. But for that executive sponsor, I mean, that does take time out of their day job. The, the rewards and benefits will pay off or as likely as they pay off as risk they won't, of course. But at some point in the future, well, how does the organization allow for that in, in, in basically you know, setting people's goals and then judging by results if it's looking at something that maybe wasn't contemplated at the goal setting time of year and doesn't deliver results until a future time? One of the things that we do, Matthew, is when we're talking to executive sponsors and their teams and, and they're looking to innovation, we do say to them, expect a time commitment here, right? This is not the place for side hustles. They don't work very well. Um, and what you find is if they're passionate, if they believe in the value that can be created through a partnership or, you know, some form of innovation that we're trying to do, um, they'll make the time. Uh, you know, they'll take that out of their busy day. They'll find the resources. That is often a great acid test, I think, for commitment. What we found is, you know, there will be pockets in the business that are always up for looking at things and they're just certain people are just wired that way and they're always great to work with. And then there are people at the opposite end of the spectrum that, that don't have much interest in it. And that's absolutely fine. And then there are people in the middle. Um, and it's really the people in the middle that tends to form the core, if you like, of, of the group. And it's just really better understanding their needs. And as I said, building those relationships and you find, um, you know, things move in the direction that you want because you understand what people want and uh, you can work with them better that way. You allow some of the natural barriers to exist because if people are really passionate about something and they themselves got an innovation mindset, they'll they'll figure out how to do that and get around it. And I know there's a couple of other very large global tech organizations that we all know that have got a kind of similar mindset, you know, how they actually how they inspire innovation internally. And the other thing, Pamela, you, you wrote in your, your excellent article, uh, which we will put a link to in the episode notes, was something that you know, is so obvious when you say it or write it. But I think it's so often forgotten, which is this the role of a program manager or project manager or IT person that actually is brought into the project early and can help you facilitate the discussions. Because I've certainly seen examples where 
the, the barrier for somebody being brought into work as an insurance organization is not because the business doesn't want it. It's just because there's such a high threshold to, to get over for something to even be installed in the in the business or there's a whole list of other priorities for the IT team that it just doesn't happen. So can you I mean, that's obvious, but can you just talk a little bit about more about it and maybe help people understand how to actually go and find their their friends in IT? If I touch on the program managers first, so um, they can be very helpful to support the proper structuring of, say, a pilot or a proof of concept, um, you know, with proper milestones, accountability, making sure the sponsors are in place. And then you have a mechanism for measuring the results against your initial expectations. So if you have good ones in your organization, become friends with them. <laughs> they are very, very helpful. Um, it's almost an interesting kind of paradox because when you think about innovation, people think about technology, they think about new business models and concepts, and it almost appears quite esoteric. Actually, innovation as a concept in itself, when you go deeper into a discipline of innovation, it's there is a process to it. So, when I'm speaking to Brendan or we're speaking to, you know, other members of the team or the business units around Liberty Mutual Group, we always say in this process is your friend. It, it helps you to structure things clearly and understand when things are working or not working, etc. And I think, you know, having people like that around that have that type of mindset that can work with you um, to do that. And that's their natural kind of bias is very, very helpful when you're trying to partner with companies um, on the technology side. I would say. We're seeing a large growth, particularly in APIs, uh, to support integration into legacy systems. We, you know, we're 109 years old. Um, so we will have lots of legacy systems as many incumbent carriers will. And being able to partner with other companies via APIs, et cetera, is pretty helpful. And I think you can see it evolve potentially into areas like ecosystems, et cetera, which I think are going to be massive in our industry. And I think being aware of those, being aware of how they work, and then, you know, the people within your organization that can help execute on them, I think is important. You said offerings with APIs integrating into legacy systems. You know, one of the big challenges of legacy systems is you can't integrate into them with APIs. So it's what you're saying, that the solutions you're finding interesting are ones that actually do enable or find some creative ways to overcome that barrier of integrating in legacy systems. And that's actually almost a technology in itself has got a value because it's a kind of connector between the new world and the old world. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you've had guests on previously that have talked about technical debt within uh, insurance companies. And if you think about the spend that, you know, insurance companies like us put through our budgets every year just to kind of keep the lights on, to move beyond that, you've got to really be aware of some of the capabilities out there that can move you forward. Otherwise, you're just spending to keep the lights on and stay in the same place. And I don't think that's something that we want that's going to serve us particularly well or potentially serve our clients particularly well. That issue of technical debt, we don't really have time to do it full justice just now, but it is a sort of massive cost to insurance companies in the background, not that visible, but it's just eating away at the, the profitability. And it's certainly something that I think when people actually understand what's happening and can make the sort of tough decisions to invest and you know, more significantly to overcome it, or I think as you're doing, finding you know, creative solutions to help get around that, it does make a massive difference. Um, Brendan, I just want to bring you back into the conversation again. Hopefully you're still there uh, and talk about some of what you're seeing from your perspective of the US. Uh, and I'm going to just for those of a political bent, refer to Europe in a sort of geographical sense. Um, 
how would you sort of compare and contrast what you see from a technology point of view coming out of, and again, we're sort of being slightly uh, exclusive to the rest of the world, so feel free to open it up to what's happening everywhere else. But it, you know, in the Americas and, and then the sort of the European landmass uh, that you're, you know, you're exposed to between what you and Brendan are doing. I might just hit a commonality, a few commonalities in it, and then highlight differences. Um, yeah, really, we're seeing a lot of these low interest rate environments continue to drive inflow of capital into venture. So lots of enthusiasm across all stages, public and short tech stocks. Um, the prices are, you know, dropping after reaching all time highs in Q1 of, of this year. Um, we're really kind of seeing this SPAC winter emerging over scrutiny from projection misses and, and even some, some a bit of a fraud uh, areas as well. So, yeah, specific to your question in the U.S., uh, still the epicenter of insurtex with funding around 51%, but the rest of the world certainly catching up. Um, an impressive year-over-year growth in the EU, for example, of a billion dollars year-over-year for 2020-21. More of a mix, I'd say, in the U.S. beyond distribution-related startups and, and some good strength in AI-related risk selection. And then if I if I go across the pond um, in the EU, really like the approach um, of the future of Lloyd's and you know, Lloyd's Lab really is taking more you know active role in, in in bringing mature startups, you know those that have a bit more product market fit, which I, which I think is a great approach to it. Um, the product innovation facility as well, giving some space to Lloyd's um, agents and, and work active across across all those. So kudos to Lloyd's. And, and then on the ESG front, I'd say, you know, EU carriers have been further out internationally in, in the U.S. And so they're leading the way in a lot of innovation there. But certainly Liberty and others are, are coming up quickly on those fronts. Great. Well, a couple of things there, Brendan, I want to pick you up on. Uh, Ed Gaze, I know you're listening because you're a keen listener of this. So I suggest you take that comment from Brendan and pin it up on the wall of Lloyd's. That's great endorsements <laughs> from a major global company about what, what you're doing at Lloyd's Lab and, and Liberty is a member of Lloyd's, so that they are benefiting. So that's great. And the other thing, Brendan, you slipped in an acronym there. I know you're just testing me with your SPAC, with your special purpose acquisition companies. Um, <laughs> but you talk about SPAC winter. Does that mean, are you saying basically that the kind of excitement about using SPACs to acquire companies cheaply or, you know, get around a conventional IPO is now starting to come undone? Could you sort of talk a little bit more about what you, you mean by that for those that aren't that familiar? Yeah, I mean, SPACs have been around and I think they kind of came into vogue as an alternative to IPO. And I think, um, as, as companies pushed into it and investors saw the opportunity, um, you know, it was maybe a bit, a bit heady and now it's kind of coming back to earth a bit. And so I think, uh, maybe a SPAC winter is an extreme way of saying it, but I think it's a bit of the hype cycle, right? As, as far as, you know, kind of coming back to earth and, and finding a, a mix, you know, every day was a new SPAC and, and I think now it's about um, finding this balance of, of go-to-markets um, on the public IPO type fronts. We've talked about some of the companies you've partnered with and invested in, Rain, Jupiter Intelligence. You also mentioned you're working with Predicat and, uh, and Polcat. Are there any other companies you want to call out as sort of examples of ones that you, you know, you'd like other people to be aware of? We've got a number of companies within our venture capital portfolio uh, that we've invested in over the last 12, 18 months. You mentioned Rain and Jupiter. Uh, another one I'd call out is Edge Case Research. So they look at autonomous vehicle safety systems. So if you think about where autonomous driving and vehicles are going as they space, and, and Brendan talked about uh, the future of risk earlier on the personal line side, we're a huge writer of auto insurance in the US. It's a huge disruption. We've made an interesting venture bet with the, with Edge Case Research in that space. Um, we've also... Uh, one of the key participants, which was announced publicly a couple of months back uh, in CyberAccuView, which is um, a cyber consortium, which is bringing together 
the top eight writers of cyber insurance in the US uh, to help um, form more rigorous uh, data and regulatory standards around cyber risk, which is going to be quite interesting uh, play given the backdrop at the moment that's happening within the cyber cyber risk space. Um, and then a couple of the others I've mentioned. So uh, NIDIG, which is um, the New York Digital Investment Group, um, was an investment we did uh, with Liberty Mutual Investments, our investment arm. Um, and they are a company that is focused on crypto, uh, specifically Bitcoin, uh, and supporting institutional clients to get into crypto assets. Um, we think that you know, the crypto space is going to be very interesting. You look at what's happening at the moment with altcoins and uh, crypto more generally and DeFi, et cetera. Um, and then you try and overlay the insurance reinsurance space to that. It's nascent. I mean, our industry is really quite nascent at the moment. We think that's a potentially a very big space that we could push into as an industry overall. Um, and then the final one I'd mention is, is Apollo. Um, so Apollo is an insure tech that we backed in Canada uh, for uh, supporting our Canadian business there to get uh, deeper into small, medium enterprise business. So they connect uh, retail brokers around Canada uh, and the Canadian market with uh, risk capital from carriers. And, and we've invested in them as well. Well, that's an impressive list. And I think you did that without even looking at your notes. So good to know that they're all <laughs> top of mind. Um, the crypto one is really, really interesting quick plug for what we're up to. We're actually doing a report just now. Uh, I think if we haven't really spoken to you about it, we'll be doing it soon on essentially an overview of what's happening in that whole crypto space and uh, decentralized finance, which is DeFi. So yeah, finally, just coming up up to the, the time now, Premal, you have your own internal podcast. You very kindly invited me to talk on it. And of course, I made the mistake that I, I sort of caution my guests about, and I talk for far too long, and I'm sure you had to do lots of heavy editing, but I don't want to sort of ask you what happened to my podcast, but just generally, how is that going internally as a way of sort of internal communications? Because we often think about podcasts externally, but you, I think you've been quite effective about, you know, big company at Liberty telling people what's going on within their own organization. Yeah, well, I, I will tell you how it went. In fact, it went very well. Um, it was so, it went so well, Matthew, that we, we released the episode in two separate parts and it's been one of our most popular episodes. So thank you for, for joining us for that. But yeah, um, in touch at Liberty, which is the name of our internal podcast, um, available to, to Liberty Mutual employees. Um, we launched it three years ago. We've run nearly 50 episodes now. Um, interviewing internal people, uh, executive leadership and people around the business to tell us about what they're doing, what they're thinking, as well as external guests like yourself, which has been great. Um, nearly 20,000 downloads in total and pretty much all corners of the world where we're represented tuning in. So it's been, been a great experience, a lot of fun. Podcasting is a lot of fun, but I must say, um, anybody thinking about getting into podcasting, it's hard work as well. There's a lot to do. So, you know, kudos to you and the team at Instead London for continuing uh, after all these years, because um, whilst it is fun, it does take a chunk of your day to kind of focus on it as well. No, well, thanks. No, you know, we all know that quality counts. And Pete, who's listening in the background and will not have to do very much editing for this because you're both such eloquent speakers, but uh, you know he does all the magic around it. So thank you for that. And you know, thank you very much for your support for Instead London. It's been great you know, to work with you, get your engagement. I think that was initially triggered by one of your previous colleagues, is no longer with Liberty, who actually you know, hit the charts with uh, his podcast. So I'm sure, based on the content here, we'll get you up there onto the, the leaderboard. But uh, just as a final words, Brendan, anything final from you before we wrap up? 
thanks for doing what you do. Um, you know, we joined in tech London because we're believers that rising tides lift all ships and, and, um, that really kind of, uh, helps us, helps the industry and, and helps Kremel do, do his job and his end. So excited to be a part of, of it. Thanks, Brendan. Really appreciate that. Premal, anything, any final words from you? Yeah, so I, I just want to say, you know, we're big, big fans of Instech London. It's been an excellent community to bring together corporate startups, venture capitalists and, you know, companies doing interesting things in the insurance ecosystem. We need communities like this to continue to push on the forefront of innovation within our sector. Um, personally, it's been, you know, great for me to listen to the podcast, to, to join your events and to meet, make new connections within the ecosystem. Um, I use it as a great way of triangulating our own position on some of the trends happening in the marketplace. Are we hitting the right spots that thing? Are we focusing on the right things? And uh, yeah, I just want to say, you know, keep up the great work and look forward to continuing to be part of it. Oh, thank you. And I know you couldn't make it last night for personal reasons, but we had a, a really successful event. At least we enjoyed it. It was like, a, like throwing a good party. I always think if you enjoy it, that's half the battle. But uh, 150 people, so people are coming back. They braved a wet Tuesday evening. I know you're going to join us on the 11th of October for the next one. So it'd be great to see you there. Um, thanks to you both. I'll let you go now. I know you've got a lot going on. And uh, Brendan, uh, we are, you know, as you probably know, we are very active in the U.S. just now. I'm hoping to get over to the U.S. fairly soon and see you in person if I don't see you in London beforehand. So thank you very much. Great. Thanks so much. Thanks very much. Take care. Bye for now. Thanks. Bye-bye. Well, there's enough words in this podcast already, so I'm going to keep this short. If you don't already know us at Instec, then check us out at www.instec.london. And if you want to learn more about how we can help you, email us, hello, at instec.london, or track us down on LinkedIn. That's it. We're done.